You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. How you doing? Welcome to another edition of the Enlisted Leaderships Foundation Lead On Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary, the president of the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, and I am honored today to be joined to introduce to you uh, Ray Fitzgerald. Ray, how are you today? I'm good, David. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. So Ray is a chief master sergeant, part of the 136th Attack Squadron. He's a senior enlisted leader for the Niagara Falls Air Reverse Station, Air Reserve Station in Niagara Falls, New York. Uh, I was fortunate to meet Ray earlier this year, uh, just through a mutual acquaintance, I believe it was, Ray. And, was. and Ray was the first senior enlisted leader that was non-Navy that participated in our Foundry Leadership class. So, Ray, thank, thank you again for being with us today. David, thank you and the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. The Foundry class was an amazing experience, and I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to be here on your uh, brand-new podcast. Yeah, well, great. So, uh, Ray, um, coming up through life, people always offer us leadership advice. Um, in fact, even earlier today, my daughter's having some struggles at work, and she's like, Dad, how should I handle this? But, you know, I just was curious, has, what's the worst piece of leadership advice somebody ever gave Ray Fitzgerald? <laughs> um, that's a very great, that's a great question, because you always remember the great advice you had. But um, some of the worst advice I think I've ever had, or, or something that's been said to me when I was a younger airman, I asked a question, I believe it was on the airplane, instructor was instructing me, and I said, well, why do we do it that way? Why is it done that way? And he said, well, that's the way we've always done it. And I was like, okay, I didn't really understand that. But as I came to grow through the military, and I became an instructor, and to be credible, when you ask and you train somebody, you should always have a reference to be able to show them. So I always thought that has got to be the worst saying and piece of advice I've ever heard because it stagnates culture and growth. That's the way we've always done it. It you know it inhibits innovation and efficiency. So um, when I hear that now amongst my troops and my airmen, uh, I tell them, no, we need to constantly be evolving programs, processes, and people. We can't stagnate. We have to, we have to accelerate and evolve and innovate to, make, to become a relevant military in the 21st century. You know, and, and you can even take that a step further. Uh, if you want to be relevant in general, uh, in a business, as a business owner, uh, as a leader, you, you've always got to continue to grow and change and be flexible. I think it's funny when, when, uh, I would encounter people in the military. Oh, I don't like change. Why do we have to change for the sake of change? Well, sometimes change is just what we need to do to remain relevant uh, so that we don't get stuck. And hey, it's the way we've always done it. So, so tell us real briefly, Ray, uh, why did you join the military? You know, uh, um, you know, what was it about going on in your life that, that led you in the direction to where you are now? Well, that's a funny story. Like um, like most high school seniors, um, military recruiters come around your high school year, senior year, and you take the ASVAB, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, to see, you know, how you score it to be if you were going to go in the military. I took it because it got me out of half a day of class. That's pretty <laughs> much why I took it, right? So, and then I went on to college, and I went to the University of Buffalo for a semester and a half, and um, I was working a lot because I didn't get a lot of tuition assistance, and I was taking the bus. I didn't have my own car. So after a semester and a half of slugging through the, the snows in western New York and going to college on a bus and it just got to be very challenging. So the recruiter, timely enough as recruiters do, called me, said, hey, your ASVAB scores are still current. Do you want to come down and discuss some options about maybe coming in the, the Air Force? So I, I did. 
And um, sure enough, um, about the summer of 1990, um, I enlisted. And right then is when Saddam Hussein uh, invaded uh, Kuwait oil fields. Mm-hmm. And I was on delayed enlistment up till February 91. And that's when I, I became in, came in the Air Force. So that's kind of my story of, of, of enlisting. Yeah, that, that's a great story. So, so 1990, so you're finishing up 30 years uh, of service, just over 30 years. That's fantastic. You know, so in that time, you know, we talked uh, earlier about a specific leadership um, data point or leadership topic that was impacting to you. You know, we can define leadership in so many different ways. I will often tell people with regards to the leader, Enlisted Leadership Foundation, I'll be asked, well, Dave, what kind of leadership principles do you guys teach? And I just say, we teach about relational leadership. But even that has such a broad umbrella. There's so much uh, that you can unpack that goes into being a relational leader. So if I were to ask Ray, were to ask you, what's a, a main leadership topic that maybe you, that has affected you or that you think uh, is best for others to try to learn about themselves? What, what would you call that and why? Um, I think a central theme through my leadership as I've learned throughout the career, and it's, it's often ignored on leaders, is, is self-awareness. I think you have to be able to lead yourself first before you lead other people. And I think when we become leaders in certain positions in the military, we worry about our, we're supervising people. We have to develop our people. We have to lead our people. Well, nobody worries about self-awareness. And I think true leaders have to look internally. You have to know your own strengths, your weaknesses, your biases, and your how your thoughts and emotions uh, you know, affect your decision-making. Because I guess that's the biggest thing in the military is decision-making, whether you got all the data or not. And so Knowing that you can um, you can obviously recruit and develop diverse groups of teams around you as leaders, and you can if you know your shortfalls as a leader and your weaknesses, well, you can surround yourself with people that are good in those spots, and you can make your diverse team well balanced mm-hmm. across right. all different qualities fields. You know, you mentioned and building teams, building you know, knowing who you are and what your strengths are. Uh, oftentimes, we need to fill in our weaknesses with those people that have those qualities as their strengths. And if you weren't self-aware, you wouldn't know that yourself. Um, you know, so at what point in your career coming up through the, the ranks, E1 up to E9, uh, did you turn about being passionate for yourself, uh, turn that, pa- you know, being self-aware of yourself, if you will, uh, towards other people and helping them become self-aware of their own strengths and weaknesses? Um, I think it was when I'm, I upgraded to being an instructor in uh, the KC-135 as a boom operator. I've been an instructor in three different airplanes, the KC-135 and the C-130 flight engineer, and now an MQ-9. I think when I became an instructor, the best thing I liked about is teaching, is watching the light bulb come on when you teach something to somebody and you start developing them. So Mm. as you move up in the military, as you know, David, it becomes less and less about you and more and more about the people underneath you. So... I enjoyed, I just caught a passion for developing people, whether it was instructing them in their technical skills or as I got, as I moved up the chain, kind of developing people's supervisory and leadership skills. My passion really is about people um, and it will always be that way. And no matter what job I have when I get out of the military and I'm trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, when I get out, it's always going to be about people, whether it be um, human resources or helping veterans transition. Um, That's truly when I become, the the light bulb came on for me to be passionate is when I saw people learning and they could learn from me and I could develop them. That's when I was like, this is my calling right here. This is my passion. You know, I, I, listening to you, 
<clears throat> you know, right now in the Navy today, as a matter of fact, today and tomorrow, uh, we are promoting our newest chief petty officer. So we're doing a big, it's a big promotion, E6 to E7. I say tomorrow as well, because if you're a full-time support or if you're a reservist, uh, the ceremony is tomorrow. And I'm, I've been asked to be the speaker for a ceremony tomorrow. And I'm going to be talking about the brand of the Navy chief. And I think in what you just said about being self-aware about leadership is never about you. It's always about somebody else. And that's one of the tenets that during our six-week initiation process uh, that we really try to reinforce uh, to our new chief petty officers is leadership. It's never been about you. It's always about other people. But now as a Navy chief, you have that brand of our anchor and how people will look at you. So what you what you do what you say, how you say it, how you do it is not only going to affect your personal brand, but that brand of a chief as well. And, and self, you have to be self-aware of the kind of leader, kind of person that you are, like you said. So yeah, let me, let me, so, so you shared a, uh, what I think is a great story um, about yourself, about an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial um, opportunity that you had that that I think that you you had to make some tough you know tough decisions because leaders you said earlier um, about making decisions and, and and we have to make decisions uh, all the time and and decision you know, listen decisions are good and decisions are bad and decisions have outcomes so uh, you know what was it about Ray in a bar um, that helped it ties into the self awareness and decision idea that we're discussing. Shortly after I left active duty and joined the Air National Guard um, in the early 1990s, 1994, my uncle had owned a bar and restaurant for many years and um, was going to look at selling it. And me and my cousins were thinking about buying in. So he was going to hold a mortgage and it was going to be a, good, a great business opportunity for us. And we were all young at the time. So I was in the Air National Guard. I had just palace chased um, from active duty and I was up in Niagara Falls at the New York Air National Guard. And we started the bar and it took off. We all grew up in that neighborhood. We had a lot of friends. It was a younger crowd bar, like early 20s, mid 20s bar, sports bar theme, a lot of sports. And, and it was it was flourishing. Um, however, with it flourishing, I was just a, a drill status guardsman at the time. I wasn't full time. So I had to come in one weekend a month in my two weeks during the year. But I would work Friday nights. We split up the shifts between us. And on Friday nights, I would work. And, and the bars in our county close at four in the morning. So you have to be out of there by 4.30. So I'd work Friday night, which went into Saturday morning, and drill is Saturday morning. So for a while, I started playing the game. I'll just go home and catch, you know, two hours of sleep. I'll be at drill at 7, and that'll be fine. And I burnt the candle at both ends for a while. And, uh, of course, as you can see this leading up to total failure, I overslept a couple times. I got in trouble with my chiefs and my peers. And uh, it ba basically, I got sat down for a counseling session, and my chief said to me, well, you're a very good member of the Guard, but you have to make a decision. Do you want to be a bar owner or do you want to be a member of the uh, New York Air National Guard? And uh, that was some soul searching for me because the business is doing well. We were making money. But um, I'm glad I was able to look at the bigger picture at the time, the, the long-range picture. of a, I just got in the Guard, and I really wanted to make my military service my career. So I sold my portion out to, um, uh, to my uh, cousins, and then uh, um, about – Six or seven years later, I got hired on full time up there and I've never looked back. So 
it was a great business opportunity. They kept it many years after that where it was very profitable, but um, I chose service over, over – and the bar life, as you know, is probably one of the funnest jobs you can have. So the temptation was there to be fun and make money versus having a – you know, dev- devoting your life towards service, which is what I wanted to do. Tough decisions. Tough decisions. Uh, we learn from, from, from our decisions and, and – yeah. Yeah. Those, the sacrifices that we make, especially like you said, burning the candle both ends. Although I'm sure that helped you uh, throughout your career, because it, for those that never served uh, to think that, that we just do a, you know, a seven or eight hour day at work, um, it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, in fact, I, I think that the higher up we go up our food chain and, and now as a, uh, as a chief, you know, yourself as a senior enlisted leader, as somebody responsible for so much, um, you have to be able to burn the candle at both ends to do your job effectively. So just, uh, Absolutely. but I will just tell you when that time comes for you to transition and, and join others of us on this side of the blue line, uh, you don't have to continue doing that nearly as frequently. It's nice to know that you have the ability to, but it's nice to not have to anymore. Is there ever an opportunity that you as the senior enlisted leader at, a, at your current command or another another time where you have to help somebody else discover their self-awareness, if you will, maybe that they never really understood this self-aware concept themselves. Yeah, David, absolutely. There's definitely a time. Um, I think we both know that the um, the toughest transition in enlisted uh, member's career is going from E6 to E7. Oh, yeah. um, you go from being the tactical and technical expert to the supervisory duties, and that shift is very tough for people because they, they know their job very well. They, they like doing it, and then they get pulled out of there to do more supervisory administrative duties. And um, E6 is tech sergeant in the Air Force, and it's petty officer first class in the Navy, and then it goes to master sergeant E7 where you go to chief chief petty officer in the chief's mess in the Navy, which I know is a huge deal. Um, and I learned a lot from the Enlisted Leadership Foundation about the chief's mess, so thank you. Um, but I had an individual who was promoted to Master Sergeant E7, and I pulled him off the daily flying schedule, and I assigned him as a unit training manager. And um, he was given an office and, and programs, and he was in charge of tracking all of our training and ensuring we we're all ready, all ground and flying training was accomplished and tracked. Um, shortly after he was assigned, he gave me a phone call at home. It was really eating him up and bothering him. And uh, the phone call didn't go very well on my end because he spoke a lot, raised his voice a lot. It was very colorful language. And uh, I had a, I knew he was, you know, displeased, so I didn't have to counsel him on the phone. I let him. What, I let what, him what, Ray, what was he upset about? He was upset. Like, I signed up to be a sensor operator. I, I'm an MQ-9 sensor operator. When I signed up, and I signed up to fly. That's my job. I said, it is when you're an E6 and below. But when you're an E7, you, you're going to run programs, processes, and people. You're, you're in charge of, of not doing the job anymore, but supervising the people to do the job. So I explained all that to him on the phone, but I really didn't think he was listening. He was doing more of talking at that point. So I said, well, how about we, you know, reattack this in the future? You and I can sit down and we can talk about it. And he was all fired up and he said, and he hung up on me. So, uh, so, so he, he was, so he was upset about getting promoted from E6 to E7 and, and having to become a manager and not that technical not that he loses his technical expertise, but that he would not be operating as a technician anymore. Yeah, that he, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he said, I said, OK, well, you know, that's all. That's great. Um, I know you love doing your job and you'll do less of it. You'll still do it, but you'll do less of it. And uh, I could okay. take that stripe away and you could go back to being an E6 and flying the schedule. And um, and that's a pretty big bump uh, for pay. So um, that was part of the conversation. And then uh, that's what he was upset about. I'm sorry I promoted you. Um, and now you have more additional <laughs> responsibility. Uh, 
Wow. So, so a week later, he came into my office or thereabout, and he closed the door and he said, "Chief, can you have, can I get a few minutes?" I go, "Absolutely." And uh, he said, I, I, first of all, I have to apologize the way I spoke to you on the phone." And I said, "Yeah, well, I knew you're upset, Tony, and I, I understand that." And he goes, "I also understand. I'm more aware now. I have self awareness of, I you know, I have self awareness of where my where my place is in the in the chain of command." Because I had also directed him towards our enlisted force structure book, which clearly delineates the NCO and senior NCO lines. I said, you might want to read this a little bit more, educate yourself on your new rank. And um, he said, yep. He goes, I'm going to dive right into being the best unit training manager I can. I understand I can still fly. Um, I'll maintain my currencies. But he goes, I want to you know, thank you for promoting me and giving me this opportunity, and, and I'll do the best job I can for you. So um, the light bulb came on for him, and he's – I'll tell you what – He's been the best, one of the best senior NCOs um, I've had, and I've put him up for outstanding senior NCO of the year, um, which is the first time he's about, he's been in about 20 years. And uh, when I put him up for the wing, he came in to me and he goes, Chief, I just want to tell you, as my career's done a 180 since I've made Master Sergeant. He wow. goes, I was in maintenance for almost 20 years. Nobody's ever put me in for an award. He goes, you put me in for senior NCO of the year. And he goes, I had to get him ready for the board, make sure his uniform was yeah. good, questions were good. But he said, you're, I said, well, I recognized your turnaround. You made a 180-degree switch. And um, so he has since not only excelled, he's grasped it and he's excelled. In, and he's actually up for E8 this year. So he could be moving on to see. You know, Ray, I wonder if you – let's go back to the very beginning because we've always done it that way. You know, I wonder if this young man, he'd always done it the same way. And maybe those leaders before you had always done it the same way and, and never took the time to uh, not only put him in for award, you know, for doing a great job, but even took the time to expose him and share with him the duties and responsibilities. Because every every promotion, things change, that, that self-awareness uh, piece. And then you think what you've just, you know, done with him, how is that now going to affect how he treats others? And that's just going to. Uh, expand exponentially, which is what we do as leaders, right? Is 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 goes back to those decisions that we make. Uh, leadership is influence, and we're going to influence positively or negatively. A leader is going to influence, and um, knowing, being self-aware ourselves, and how what we do will influence those. I mean, that, yeah, I tell you, we could probably continue talking self-awareness for another half an hour, but our time is about up. Um, <laughs> so. So, you know, we may just have to revisit this at a, at a later date. We'll do a, a, a part two. I would love to, David. Okay. Well, listen, um, before we end, um, you know, I asked you maybe the worst piece of leadership advice somebody ever gave you at the beginning. You know, how about it? Have you ever had um, the luckiest, probably the worst, but luckiest leadership decision that you've ever made? You know, we've all made some bad decisions. We just, we just hope that they aren't so bad that they negatively affect us. And sometimes... We get lucky. Have you ever had one of those? Um, I'm sure I have a lot to choose from. Um, but uh, you asked me on the spot here, and uh, I'm drawing um, one of the big ones that sticks out for me. And it's a leadership decision, but it was also a career decision. Um, when when we converted from the KC-135s when I was a boom operator, we were going to C-130s. Um, the Michigan Air National Guard, I had some friends up there, and they were still flying the KC-135s. And they said, hey, we just we just started the KC-135s a couple years ago. You're an experienced instructor. We, you know, If you don't want to stay at Niagara Falls and be a C-130 flight engineer, come up and fly with us and we'll sign you on. We can use some experienced instructors. And I was single at the time, no family, nothing, you know, outside of keep me down. I'm like, wow, I love being a boom operator. I really have. It's the only job I've known in the Air Force. And um, 
I said, you know, I think I'm going to do it. I was leaning towards the fence. And um, I had a few people, a few leadership people talk to me about Niagara and staying and, and doing this. And I, I think it comes back to I, I got lucky because um, some of the leaders um, told me, you know, look at not only your original decision making, but look at the second and order third effects of your decision making. So I stayed, became a flight engineer, even though I loved being a boom operator and I still look back. And then this other weapons conversion came to the MQ-9. And just I've been fortunate in my career through through mission conversions and other spots that I was in the right spot at the right time and had the right mentor. So that was maybe one of the luckiest errors because I was pretty much set on going to the Michigan Air National Guard. And I stayed here. I've had flourished as my career has flourished. I met my wife. We have four beautiful children. She was from the local area. So you look back and you go, where would my life have been if I went to Michigan? I don't know. But I stayed here. And you know what? Sometimes we look at those first first order effects. is like, it's easy to do this. Second and third order effects of your decision down the road was like, you can't maybe see them all the time. Good leaders can strategically. I didn't see it at the moment. I had some mentors that maybe pointed me down that path. But I always, I always say this story to my, to my, to my friends is like, and, and my subordinates. First order effects, think about the second and third order effects, like exercise, right? The first, you want to exercise, right? Well, it's painful to exercise. It hurts. You sweat. That, it's tough. But the second and third order effects are you're going to be healthy and you're going to look good probably. You're going to look better, right? But you don't see those second and third order effects. What, why? Because you got to get through the first order effects. And that was going to be tough for me to stay and restart a new career as a C-130 flight engineer. Great. I got to go all the way back to school for six months to learn how to fly a different airplane to do all this when I could just easily go to Michigan. So that was the easy part of making a first order effect. But the second and third order effects were I stayed where I was at. I had experience. They knew me in the, in the, in the squadron. They had a career path for me. And it all, the second and third order effects are exactly where I'm at in my career right now. So yeah, that's, that's perfect. What, what a great way to end our conversation today. Greg, um, thank you for being here. It's been great getting to know you this year. Uh, I look forward to continuing to work with you with future classes here with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. And, uh, you know, if, if you'll be up for it, I'd like to be able to have a, another conversation with you here in the future. David, I, I am I am grateful and thankful that you exposed me to the Enlisted Leadership Foundation and the Foundry class initially. Amazing experience. I talk about it at our wing all the time, and I'm trying to get our professional development committee to fund at least one E6 to go to your class starting next year. So I have a meeting with the wing commander to do that. But um, I am available at any time. I, I, your foundation is great and everything you guys do. Um, being exposed to Jim Rich and the rest of your staff is, um, has been it's been, it's been great for my professional development for me to bring Brack to my wing as well. So well, thank, thank you. you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Absolutely. So thank you, everyone, uh, again, for joining us today. Lead on lessons from military leaders. Uh, today you heard from Chief Master Sergeant Ray Fitzgerald of the Niagara Falls Air Reserve Station in New York. I'm David Deary with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. Join us next time, the 1st and the 15th Military Paydays for future editions of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders. Bye-bye.